0: Welcome back once again to Fine Answers. Today on the podcast, we have Eric Sachetta, Joe Sucheta, Mike Callahan, and myself, Matt Stead. Today, we are going to do the last segment on the book we have been talking about this season, 2030. This segment is going to be focused around the old adage, sharing is caring, and how we're going to really start to focus in and and have that be more of a reality in 2030. And Mike can maybe tell you what I'm talking about.
1: So, I mean, as everybody knows, the, the... The, the whole sharing economy or gig economy or however, however you want to say it has kind of dramatically changed a, a lot of industries. And I guess the expectation is that that's just going to continue, right? And it's going to continue to expand and continue to touch other areas of, of the economy. And, you know, by 2030, we are all going to live together harmoniously and share everything and everything's going to be great. Right. I don't know that I necessarily believe that, but you know, that's kind of the, the idea, you know, I personally, I think that there's a place for all of this, and I think it makes people's lives a lot easier. I don't know that it's going to be quite as prevalent as, as they might talk about in the book.
2: And yeah, just to give some context to what we're talking about, uh, if you think of Uber, Airbnb, and companies like that, those are examples of sharing services where they figured out how to use technology to connect average-day people who are looking for a service with average-day people who are looking to provide a service— and what I thought was interesting is that in some of the dictionaries, they now have a term called "uberize," and "uberize" means using technology to connect, you know, two sides of, of commerce. Which uh, it's a new word.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, essentially, what what we're kind of heading towards here. In in, I agree with Mike. I, the the author seemed to hypothesize that by 2030, we are going to be this this world of everybody holding hands and sharing everything, and you know. I mean, I think we're, we're, we're going to lean more in that direction going forward, but I certainly don't think we're going to get to the point where everything is everybody's. But in some instances, it does make sense. And to Joe's point about the Ubers, right? On average, cars are only used six to 7% of the time during a week, right? So you look at that and say, it's such a wasted resource just sitting there in the parking lot of the driveway collecting dust, right? So where you can sort of optimize that and start sharing vehicles and sharing cars and and people provide essentially the car for you for 20 to 30 minutes and drive you to work or whatever it may be, you're maximizing the efficiency of the economy altogether, right? Same thing with with food, right? 33% of all food that's produced goes to waste. It's thrown in the trash. So you start looking at avenues where Instead of throwing it in the trash, you can share it. And again, it's just optimizing efficiency, optimizing everyday comfort.
1: <laughs> kind of a, a battle between two demographic shifts, right? One is you have more people utilizing services like that. The other one is, you know, especially post-pandemic, you have people kind of migrating away from cities and, and you know, condensed areas in which those services make the most sense, right? Uber makes the most sense if you live in the city. Why have a car? It's it's a it's a hassle, you have to park it, you have to figure out what to do with it. It's hard to get around. Uber is so much easier. The more rural you live, the less cost effective it becomes, right? Like, you know, I, I to get to the office it takes me 30 minutes each day. If it costs, you know, 20 bucks a day to, or 20 bucks each way to, to Uber to the office, it's significantly cheaper for me to own a car than it is to Uber every day. You know, so it's, it all depends on what your, you know, typical commute is, whether it's cost effective or not. And again, it, it kind of the, the demographic shifts are kind of fighting against making things like Uber cost effective for people.
0: Yeah, I feel like with with some of these things that that definitely makes sense where you kind of have to have this close, close density in population in order to kind of maximize the sharing, right. But then there's other things in this is another example of how how things are wasted in this country that on average, a female every year throws away in the trash, goes to a landfill, 82 pounds of clothing. Like, that is just ridiculous. How how do, how do how did we get to that point? And, you know, with Ubers, it's kind of, it's difficult to, like Mike said, if you're in a suburb or something, that you can't really share, right? Because, or rural, you can't really share. But with, with other stuff like this, clothing, I mean, food to some extent sharing of information, it can really be done on a global level.
1: Well, and, and like you say, I mean, some of it goes back to what you just said about the clothing goes back to the last chapter that we talked about in the last episode, which was the, the idea of the programmable matter, right? Where you could have clothing that changes color or changes, you know, the, the tightness of the weave to make it warmer and cooler and things like that. So you can literally wear the same outfit almost every day, you know, might, might take away from some of that waste over time also. So it's some, some is technological and some might, some might be sharing. And I think
2: behind the technology is a lot of maybe psychological or uh, behavioral things such as the concept that in the future or maybe now already we're happier renting than owning. You know, growing up in my day it was all about, you know, get a job, buy a house and what have you, but now some of the younger people buying a house is not something that's high on their list. They're happy renting. Uh you know, the the, the country has kind of been built on the concept of the American dream, but now some of these other Thoughts are maybe changing the way we look at things.
0: Well, I think the, in some capacity, the American dream is kind of shifting, right? Like you said, Joe, back in the day, it was, you know, you, you went to school, you got a good job, then you bought a house, the white picket fence, have the two kids and the dog. That was the American dream. Now it's almost shifting in, in we're seeing the trends in millennials where the American dream is more about the experiences you have in life rather right. than the possessions. Exactly. And I think that's where a lot of this sharing is kind of coming into play, where people don't care about having a house and people don't care about having a car. That's, they don't see that as kind of an accolade of success. They see having the, the genuine trips and travel and, and being around people they like and all of that, that's sort of becoming more of an important factor for I, millennials. I was
3: gonna kind of also tie it into one thing they talked about in the chapter is the idea of, is is this sharing economy actually helping the people that are the, not the users, but the people that are kind of the owners. So like the people that are the Uber drivers and the Lyft drivers and the, you know, people on TaskRabbit doing random projects and stuff. And they kind of talked about, you know, is it creating more income inequality? Is it working for people? One of the things that I heard as I'm listening to this, the author talk about this stuff is, is the answer that people are more educated in the future about all the different options of all the different paths that you can go and kind of almost make it a class in school and no opinions. No, this is better than the other. It's just, Hey, if you go into a trade, this is what happens. If you are in the sharing economy and you want to be an Uber driver, this is what happens. Cause you know, they give examples, but sometimes the reason something doesn't work for somebody is they think it's a good idea. Then they start doing it and then realize it's not. And then they have trouble doing, you know, something else. You know, my wife has two, you know, we have two kids. She's at home. She's a worker. She loves to work. But doing a traditional job wouldn't work right now. She started her own little business on this website called Upwork, where you basically say what skills you have, and it matches you up with people that are looking for, you know, opportunities. And she's built a little business for herself, and she makes pretty good money, and it's allowed her to do that. But there's other people that are like, oh, I want to make, you know, 200 grand a year. I'm going to go to that same website, and I'm just going to get 50 clients, and then I'm going to be, I'll be fine And then they try that and it's like, oh, this isn't what they promised or this is not going to work. So I think the answer to whether these things are good or bad is more to do with educating people on how the sharing economy could be an option to fit into them rather than saying, I'm a millennial. I don't want to be tied to anything. I'm going to
0: try these things and then realize down the line it doesn't work for them. Yeah, to that point, I mean, beyond possessions that we've been talking about this whole time about sharing houses and cars that we're going to start seeing a trend in people sharing work, essentially, right? And and the websites like you're talking about, Upwork and TaskRabbit are kind of allowing that already. And not only sharing work, but sort of redefining work. And to me, it seems like work in personal life are becoming more and more intertwined every day, in the sense that people wanted a work-life balance, but they want it to work for them, right? So like, You see a lot of people start driving for Uber and things like that because they can define when they work. They can decide if they want to work at all during a certain week. There's no punching a clock. There's no nine to five. So sharing that work kind of allows for that because you get different people wanting to work different times. So yeah, I mean, possessions aren't the only thing that are going to be shared in the future and and work is going to be a a huge one that is.
2: And I think if we well, try, I, I just, try to tie that back to what we do here at Satcheda Callahan with the financial planning process, like Mac, Matt said, the, you know, the move is more towards experiences over things. And when I see somebody who's accumulated enough enough money to live the life they want to live, part of my job is to make sure that they realize that that a bigger number on the page, as you get closer and closer to the end of end of plan, as we call it, you know, might, might be an interesting goal, but you can't take it with you. Life is a, ser- a series of experiences, and if you can afford those experiences for yourself or for others, you know, w- what's what's the point of the money if you just want to keep seeing it grow?
1: Right. Well, you know, I think, to me, it, it just a couple points. I think, you know, one of the things is, m- male- or younger people are focused a bit more on, like you say, experiences and things like that, but also just freedom, right? Like they don't want to be tied down to. I have to go to the office from nine to five every single day and that's just what I'll do for 40 years and then I'll have the reward of retirement. That doesn't really appeal to them, right? So a lot of these things give them the opportunity to kind of make their own schedules or do their own thing, and it also that that ties back to why they don't feel the need to have all these possessions, right? Because a house ties you down to a specific place and a car ties you down to a car payment and a, and you know all that kind of stuff. So, you know, they some people look at these things instead of being, you know, accomplishments, they look at them as well, Detriments, right? And, it well, is things a, that tie you down.
2: There's a term, Mike, that I grew up with, and that is prisoner of your possessions. Mm. When your possessions yeah. control your life and take away your freedom and your flexibility, you're a prisoner. And when you shed yourself of some of those possessions and start enjoying some of the experiences that your short life can give you, you do feel this sense of independence and freedom.
1: Well, and I guess, you know, the the other part that I don't know the answer to is— is that unique to younger people today or is this just the first generation that has had the technology available to them to do that right like when when you were younger joe like the the only the only way that you were assured to have a roof over your head was to buy a house right and then you knew you had a place to live whereas today you go on airbnb you can find a place anywhere you want you know it's like and i'm not i'm not that much older than some than than matt and eric but You know, Mm. if if everybody's different, you know, if I was going on a trip, I mean, I plan trips way in advance, right? I want to know that I have a a plane ticket. I want to know that I have a, a hotel room to sleep in. Like, I just need to have that, that certainty. My brother will literally get on a plane and fly to Spain. And when he gets there, he'll find a place to stay. You know, to me, that's insane. I can't even imagine doing that. I would be nervous the whole way there. That's just the way he wants to do it because he wants to see when he gets there, where he wants to stay. And he doesn't want to already have that And already have that decision been made before he's even set foot in the city or the country, I guess, in the Spain example. So I guess it's everybody's different. But like I said, I I wonder if it's the, the fact that the technology exists to do it is why you see more people kind of doing things that way.
3: I also yeah. would say that we're not trying to suggest that like that's what everybody should be doing or that's the right answer. I think, again, coming back to the financial planning is people just do what they were told to do, and that's the right things. Instead, when you have a financial plan and you can look at how much money you have, what do I actually really want, and own the things that might give you some value either financially or, or make you feel good or whatever— And the rest of it, maybe you do share or you focus on experiences, but unless you have a financial plan for you that you're looking at and seeing how all these decisions fit in, it's all kind of hypothetical. So you need to have that in place to to make those type of decisions.
0: I think, and we've talked about this before too, but another point that popped into my head was, I think in many regards, at least for the the work-life balance and experience balance is coronavirus has kind of accelerated this in some ways, right? Like, a lot of us have been working from home for a large portion that this whole thing has been going on. And that's sort of allowed for a more flexible life, right? You you know, people who have kids are able to be with their kids more. I know for me, I mean, not really during tax season, but kind of off tax season time, you know, I'll work a couple hours in the morning, and then 11 o'clock, I'll go out for two hours and do errands. But then I'm also back at my desk at home at 7, 8, nine o'clock at night still working, right? So it allows me to kind of go do stuff during the day as long as you get your stuff done at the end of the day. You know, the, the whole thought of punching a 9 to 5 is just, for me, it's completely, you know, it, it makes my skin
1: crawl. It's one of those things where the, the idea of the 9 to 5 workday, people just didn't step back and examine it. Until now, it seems like right because it's like it was. It's a it's a relic from a time where you had a factory floor where you had people working certain shifts and the machines ran from nine to five and you needed people there and back then they used to run longer but you needed people specifically there to do the work from the during those hours. Technology has changed all that, right? And we just until now hadn't stepped back and said, does this make any sense anymore? You know, and to your point, Matt, it, it doesn't really because what if having free time from five till you go to bed isn't your optimal time to have free time? You know, what if you'd rather have two hours off at lunchtime and just work till seven? Right. You know, it, it, it there's really in a lot of jobs, I mean, some jobs you need the, the nine to five because that's just, you know, in, in retail and things like that, you have to have set hours for people to come in. But in jobs like we have where, you know, you can, are kind of just doing work at your own pace. I mean, I think that, is, is very true. I mean, it totally changes the work day. It changes the work environment. Well, and no, it goes back to what we talked about before, the freedom of being able to choose what works best for you.
0: Exactly. And I mean, and then it allows for, you know, in many regards, more, more ability to kind of enjoy experiences in life. Like, right, you know, little Timmy has a baseball game at two o'clock in the afternoon. Typically, the, the parents that were working, said, oh, sorry, you know, we'd, we'll watch the videotape later or something. We can't make it now we're getting to the point where they can go. And then maybe when the kid goes to bed, then they finish their work, you know? So I don't know. To to me, all this is, is kind of leading us in the right direction.
2: And I think Matt's touched on a very good point with respect to the coronavirus. You know, the last two or three books that I've read, that we've read, all were written prior to coronavirus. Be curious to see what the authors think of the world and where we're heading now that coronavirus has kind of changed everything, at least for the time being, maybe forever. So we
1: probably went down a little bit of a tangent there on, on some of these other topics. But I think, you know, to me, it's going to be very interesting to see how the sharing economy evolves over the next 10 years and, or nine years, I guess now, you know, and, and where we end up. I mean, we could see it happen exactly how the, the author kind of suggests, that it's going to expand and we're, we're all going to get better at sharing things and we're going to own less and and experience more and things like that. But... I think there's still going to be this, this, you know, different feelings about it, right? Some people are going to wholeheartedly embrace it and other people are going to look at it and say, you know, that's really not for me. You know, I personally, I, I wouldn't be comfortable renting out my rooms in my house to people I don't know. Um, other people think that's great. I think one of the, the most interesting things that could come up of, of this is just opening the opportunities for retired people and changing the concept of retirement, right? Is that, you know, I don't know if it was this book or one of the other books I've read, but they talked about the fact that, you know, in, in the past, older people that retired, if they had a house they wanted to stay in, their only option was like a reverse mortgage or something like that. And now they actually have the opportunity to rent out parts of the house if they wanted to and have income that they can use to live and potentially have companionship, you know, with somebody else living in the house with them. Uber makes it easier for them to get to to medical appointments. Task Rabbit, things like that, make it much easier for them to get people in to do some of the tasks they can no longer do. So I think, you know, from that perspective, there's a huge opportunity. And it's not even necessarily because we love the idea of sharing. It's just because, you know, it makes everybody, everybody wins, right? It, it gives people job opportunities. It gives people, you know, the, uh, the older people, the opportunity to get things done that they really need done. You know, and, and and again, some people just look at it as an investment opportunity. I mean, the the number of people that own multiple properties just to put them on Airbnb has skyrocketed. That hasn't been great since March of last year. I wouldn't imagine, but we'll see. So, I, I guess just to wrap up this episode and wrap up, I guess the series of of 2030. This is the last podcast we're going to do on this book. Is the one constant or the one common theme throughout all of these chapters has been the is coming, right? And I know it, it's happened in the past, but as we talked about, it's going to happen. A heck of a lot faster going forward. So as as we you know move through life over the next ten years, I guess just just be prepared for the fact that change is going to be a constant part of it, and that ten years from now things are going to look a lot different than they look like today. And having a, a flexible financial plan and you know somebody to turn to as these things impact your lives and your investments and stuff like that becomes more and more important. And you know we're we're happy to help. And we so you're saying
2: plan for life's road ahead nice
0: plug all right well on that note we want to thank you again for listening and like we said this is the last episode in this series on the book but we do have a few more episodes coming out this season focusing on some more financial topics so keep an eye out for that and until then take care and stay safe
1: Fine Answers is produced and edited by Sachetta & Callahan, LLC. All disclosures are posted to our website at sachetta.com forward slash fine answers. S-A-C-H-E-T-T-A dot com forward slash F-I-N-E-A-N-S-W-E-R-S. Thanks for listening.